Recently, there was a bit of a controversy in the Punjabi literary circles, which is kind of the closest thing we've had to a literary debate, except um, which was about Nasreen and Jumbhati's work. And um, what was troubling was, of course, it just was mostly dominated by men who were sort of trying to claim um, um, sort of the narrative for Nasreen and Jumbhati's activism, who was a leftist activist, also language rights activist and a Punjabi poet and a feminist. Um, so also very closely involved with and inspired by the women's movement, the anti-Zia women's movement. Um, so I mean, I, th I thought it made sense um, for me to sort of work on Nasreen at this point and try to actually look at the poetry because there's very little engagement with her text um, and not like, on their own terms. Um, so also this is my, I'm a first year PhD student and this is sort of my first, um, this is my, the draft for my registration and it's hopefully going to be a chapter. So it's really, it would be really good to get like feedback in at this point. So September 1987, Jhang, Punjab, Pakistan. Under a multicolored canopy, a crowd of a few hundred has congregated. To the front, fanned by tall posters bearing the visage of a man with long hair and a stately turban, a stage has been erected. The chair in the central on a raised dais is empty. The event is a commemoration of Varisha, the 18th century Punjabi poet who penned the famous Kissa of Heer. The chief guest chosen to preside over this gathering is Abida Hussain, a <coughs> Pakistani politician who sits in the National Assembly. Jhang is also the setting for Varisha's tale. Abida Hussain ultimately failed to arrive after succumbing to pressure from the Seal community, who had been protesting the event, arguing that the Kissa is a tale of illicit love, contrary to Punjabi values regarding family honor. In most versions of the Kissa, his character hails from the Seal clan. Written in the 1760s, Warishra's Heer is an epic poem composed in the Kissa tradition. It runs into several hundred verses and um, eloquently details the story of Heer and Ranja, who were lovers that battled societal odds to be together. As the incident reproduced above indicates, the story of Heer and Ranja, however, is much more than just a romance from a bygone era. Why did it elicit such a hostile reaction from the Seals of contemporary Jhang, 200 years later from when it was originally written? Um, in her pioneering study of Heer narrative circulating in the colonial period, Farina Mir also discusses another similar public sort of um, incident when the Heer narrative was invoked, which is by Uddham Singh, who was the anti-colonial revolutionary um, standing trial in London, uh, standing trial for the assassination of a British officer. Um, and he stood trial in London, and when asked to swear in court, he asked for a copy of Heer Varisha rather than the Guru Granth Sahib. And also he, his name, when asked in court, he gave as Ram Muhammad Singh, which as you can see, is, it's not a real name, right? So what authority was vested in Varisha's Heer for Udham Singh and for, um, you know, the, uh, the kind of, sorry, the commemoration, the commemorative event I was talking about? As both incidents show us, this authority of Heer is invoked in particular contexts, in moments of subversion, be it an act of rebellion against the colonial state or an enactment of literary resistance against patriarchal values. As Mir has shown, the story of He Ranja was central to constructing and narrating historical <coughs> imaginations in colonial Punjab. My contention is that the narrative retains this function in the post-colonial period, 
and on both sides of the border. Like many of the constitutive texts in South Asian literary traditions, um, and I draw here on Ejaz Ahmed, um, the story of Heer has undergone centuries of sedimentation. Um, so this deep kind of embeddedness, this sediment process of sedimentation, this deep embeddedness of the story of Heer in the historical poetic landscape of Punjab was produced by and in, turns, in turn helps to reproduce the popular culture of Heer performance in music and theater, which is a defining feature of shrine culture and vernacular spirituality. What, however, um, remains perhaps under-theorized or under-explored is the Heer narrative's ability to serve as a terrain for contestation in contemporary literature and contemporary cultural politics, as a symbol wielding powers of political subversion and social critique. Um, as highlighted by the two incidents I narrated at the outset, the story of Heer traverses the shifting domains and contexts of anti-colonial resistance and post-colonial patriarchy offering a space for articulating alternative ideologies that question dominant understandings of gender, religion, and politics in Punjabi society. For Uddam Singh, it represented a subversive pride in regional identity that flew in the face of colonial attempts to communalize Punjab and divide the nationalist struggle, what he saw as that. For the Seals, Heer's transgressive decision to love a lowly cowherd against her father's and brother's wishes defied notions of patriarchal authority and fa familial honor that continue to define communities in present-day Punjab. For my purpose, I am interested in the creative afterlives of the Heer narrative in modern Punjabi poetry. So some of the questions I'm trying to ask um, in the, the dissertation as a whole and in this chapter in particular is what place does this narrative have in contemporary Punjabi poetry in the post-colonial era? How do Punjabi writers and poets today engage with its symbolism? And particularly, how is it retold by marginalized <coughs> voices to deconstruct dominant ideologies of patriarchy and nationalism? Um, so this talk is going to look in particular at Nisreen Anjum Bhatti's poetry and Amrita Pritham's poetry to try to answer some of these questions. Um, since this is a panel, so um, since the whole conference is, um, and, and, and I think we've had some really great papers and I'm really thankful to Mavesh and Arif for organizing this, is also about looking at kind of new directions for study in Pakistan. Um, that's also obviously an interest with this work. Um, and the reason I've chosen sort of two um, poets from across the border is to actually sort of discuss how sometimes we tend to overplay or reify the, um, the category of the nation when we come to analyzing particular literary culture. So separated in time by the national divide and through religious backgrounds. So Nasreen Anjum Bhatti was from a Christian background as well. Um, and amongst the few probably Christian, like mainstream Christian Punjabi poets we have. So the two poets nonetheless meet in their subversive use of the Heer tradition to explore issues of gender, nation, and region from a feminist perspective. By placing their work in conversation, I will attempt to articulate a feminist literary theory of the vernacular, a feminist Punjabiyat, that contributes to our understanding of literary modernity in South Asia by exploring post-colonial continuity, continuities that straddle the Indo-Pak border and the disparate national, national ideologies that define it. So as Virinder Kalra, for example, has pointed out that apparent stark differences in the political orders between two, the two nation states often become a convenient peg for hanging difference. 
Um, and in a related vein, Ajaz Ahmed has also pointed out how the dominance of nationalism as an analytical framework <coughs> has given rise to a homogenizing <coughs> impulse to slot very diverse kinds of public aspirations under this kind of unitary insignia of nationalism. He also notes how this impulse almost always goes hand in hand with the tendency to view colonialism as fundamentally constitutive of modern literary culture. And he argues instead that, and I agree with him, that developments during the colonial period are everywhere embedded as much in the pre-colonial legacies as in the colonial processes as such. And cultural productions everywhere greatly exceed the boundaries set by the colonial state and its policies. So, using this as sort of my um, inspiration. Um, what I'm trying to do is, through this exploration of this poetry, I'm interested in pushing the kind of theoretical distinctions that all too neatly separate pre- and post-colonial literary culture, um, also Indian and Pakistani literary imaginations, and what we often, um, I think, some too carelessly just describe as cosmopolitan culture or cosmopolitan expression versus vernacular expression. So to begin, um, we must first unpack the kind of subversive heritage of the Heer narrative itself, right, which has kind of been developed in the oral tradition. And the first time we hear of it is in sort of 14th century texts. What is it about this tale that enraged the ego, male uh, egos of the Seals in Pakistani Punjab even 200 years after its initial sort of writing? So I'm hoping some of you would be familiar with the narrative a little bit or have watched the movie with the laws and like, um, or, or have some familiarity, maybe from a Honey Singh song, I don't know. Um, <laughs> because I'm not gonna be able to go into um, any detail, but if you look at the plot of the narrative, of the Heer narrative, which by the way is, yes, there are variations, but for the most, there's a, one version that is shared between kafis and kissas, which are kind of two broad genres, mainly the main genres which deal with it. Um, it's, it's a pretty simple and conventional plot in the sense that lovers from different social backgrounds can't get married and in the end they sort of die um, as, you know. So, um, but within that, um, poets and sort of organic intellectuals who were vernacular writers have been able to enclose a very critical ethnography of Punjab which is able to kind of address and articulate a politics of resistance. And that is the kind of heritage or the literary genealogy of protest which contemporary poets continue to draw upon, right? Um, unfortunately, if we look at the uh, kind of the main his, um, the theoretical approaches in, this, in literary criticism on Heer, um, those kind of perspectives are actually overclouded by this reliance on Sufism as a framework for explaining almost all Punjabi poetry, and there are many problems with that. To start with, um, it really underplays <coughs> the role of non-Islamic spirito-political movements like Bhakti. Um, then the second thing is that it obscures the social and political context many Sufi poets inhabited and rebelled against in favor of a kind of ahistorical and monolithic view of Islamic spirituality in South Asia. And third, and very importantly for our purpose, um, the reading of the Heer motif as a mystical allegory or a kind of Sufi symbol um, really obscures and ab abstracts the use of the women's voice in Punjabi poetry, which is kind of a big motif. Um, mm. It really abstracts that to 
the relationship between man and God, and it is unable to kind of address the real gender politics that would have underpinned the work of poets such as Madhulal Hussain, who is a queer figure, essentially. Um, but I can't go into more that right now, unfortunately. Um, and this kind of um, reliance on Sufism as a kind of mode for analyzing Punjabi poetry historically and even in the contemporary period, I would argue, is very similar to the kind of analysis of the Mahabharat and the Ramayana that takes place, which is that Brahminical Hinduism becomes the only possible paradigm for interpreting the Ramayana or Mahabharat. And we um, only tend to read these texts as literature for their sublimity and not and there's no possibility of reading them as ideological texts <coughs> with who, which are trying to offer maybe an imaginary resolution in the secular and familial and material domains. And part of trying to read um, kind of these pre-colonial echoes in contemporary poetry is also in trying to tease apart um, this kind of really ahistorical and not anti-materialist um, perspective that we do get on traditional poetry as well, right? Um, also, I'm um, very importantly, I'm, my work also responds to Alyssa Ayer's really sort of big, seminal, um, celebrated book, Speaking Like a State, where um, she kind of argues for this idea of Punjabiyat, which is, and that's me trying to talk about a feminist Punjabiyat, is trying to answer that, where she says that this is the cultivation of a literary sphere by an elite for this uh, for uh, which is seek, sort of seeking symbolic capital um, and my problem with that book is that you could sort of go through it page by page and not once will you come across the word left or radical or progressive or socialist which is actually um, it's a very big part of the history and the activism of a lot of Punjabi intellectuals in post-colonial Pakistan so trying to put together the kind of pre-colonial inheritance of resistance with the left-wing politics that many of these people were, are part of, and with you know tying it in with largely the anti-colonial literary heritage that we get with the progressive rightist movement. That is what we really do need to do in order to try to begin to understand and frame this work. Right. Um, um, how much more time do uh, You've got uh, 10 minutes. Uh, five. Five, right. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm going to just skip ahead to the part about Nisreen, um Nisreen's poetry and how she's kind of drawing on um, the figure of he. And what I'm going to argue or, um, is that both Amrita Pritam and Nasreen Anjumati <coughs> actually use um, they, what Karla, Karla Petyevich has identified as vocal masquerade in Punjabi poetry, which is men frequently masquerading as women. And these women, poets in the contemporary period, are reversing that and inverting that and reappropriating the voice of he from the domain of the male poet, right? So trying to sort of prize away authorial privilege from the male poet or the male public intellectual, right? And they do this by masquerading as here, right? So um, if we look at Nisreen Anjum Bhatti's, um, so the, the particular book I'm looking at is sort of her first book of poetry, which was published in 1979. The most famous poem from that book, um, which was also sort of made into a really popular song, is um, Bhutto Diwar, which she wrote when Bhutto was hanged. 
and it's written in the old folk idiom which valorizes or remembers and commemorates sort of Kozai historical um, Punjabi heroes like Dullah Bhatti or Ahmed Khan Karal. Um, and so she's, she's kind of done that for Bhutto, which also tells us how she was interested in adapting um, older forms, right? So the particular poem I'm looking at is the title poem, and it's called Neel Karayan Neelka. And I had a bit of an accident with my laptop, so I would have liked to put some poetry up for you, but I will read it out. So um, the poem starts in her sort of a very traditional Nisreen style, which is that she uses a lot of stream of consciousness and which she will fluctuate. Um, so she, she really uses this kind of autobiographical um, detail to embellish the heat narrative, which is very interesting because then she's drawing on her relationship with her mother to posture as, you know, to, to kind of reflect on here's maybe relationship with her mother, in which mother is also the representative <coughs> of society and of family duty things of that sort. So the, the poem unfolds in this manner in an intimate visceral experience of love, childhood, and domesticity rooted in and routed through here, in addition to other dissident females from the Punjabi literary formation. This juxtaposition demonstrates the deep relationship between the individual and the historical that Bhatti is interested in interrogating, and her adoption of the persona of Bhag Bhari supplements this with connection and literary imagination between the personal and the political. So Bhag Bhari and the legend of Bhag Bhari is that Varisha, which is who's the poet of um, the writer who wrote here, actually fell in love with a woman called Bhag Bhari. And um, he, because of the differences in status and caste, because Varisha was a Sayyid and Bhag Bhari wasn't, um, that love could not be um, so, so completed or consummated. And then the story goes that out of that heartbreak, Varisha then wrote, Heer Ranja, right? He said, Let's write the story of Heer Ranja anew, or let's make it new, quite literally, right? Um, and in this poem, Nasreen is actually taking on the persona of Bhagbari to sort of confront Varisha and accuse him of stealing the authorial rights or um, to Heer. So she says, and this is my translation, which is still in process. Trees of stories are inscribed on my back. Shall I tell you if I am Noorbhari or Bhagbhari? Who are you? Where are your guardians? So guard, the word for guardian is Varis. So there's also play there. Oh Varis, I sat at the hearth and burnt all things to be guarded. We have no possessions to be guarded. We are nomads after all. But you, who are you, thief, throwing your learning about? This is addressed to Varisha. Are you scared of Bhagbari? Where did you get your heel? From the vast hinterlands or from Chuchak's courtyard? Chuchak is his father. Whose rib was it that birthed heel, O Ranja? So clearly questioning um, him, sort of, right? So Neel Kanaya Neelka conjoins intimate insights into gendered social experience with a revisionist historiographical vision that stretches back to an originary text of the Punjabi literary formation to insert the question of gender at the center of Punjabi poetics. The verses imply that Varisha stole his heer from Bhagbhari, a suggestion that is reinforced by Bhatti's play on his name. Varis is a given name, but it also means guardian or owner. This inversion of the Bhagbhari story is Bhatti's attempt to return to the generative roots of the Punjabi poetic tradition, whose male poets took their form and idiom from the folk songs produced by women's everyday life and labor. 
Bhatti thus draws our attention towards the silencing of women in Punjabi history and the effacing of their creative potential in political, social, and cultural developments over the centuries. The reworked myth of Bhagbari opens up to, re to embrace, reinterpret, and rupture other moments from Punjab's cultural history using other women from the past. So then there's sort of more stuff about the poem. Um, I don't want to not look at Amrita Pritam and very quickly. Um, I'm sure most people would be familiar with the very famous poem, which is Aja Khan Varishan, which is Today I Call, about partition, where she says, Today I call upon Varisha and speak from your grave and account for sort of all of this violence. And that has invariably been read as this kind of pay-in to this lost past and this lost Punjabi kind of, you know, shared culture. Um, and what I'm trying to argue is that it's actually... Um, not this kind of nostalgic exercise. It's actually a feminist reckoning of the very gendered uh, experience of violence and partition, right? So when she says, today I call upon Varisha, this isn't this kind of, you know, tribute to Varisha. It's actually Varisha. Something has happened, and the scale of what has happened actually requires this kind of macabre, resurrection of the poet. The poet, the male poet, must rise and must give account and must give answers or, and that's kind of how I've read it. And what she's also doing is in a way when she says, rise Varisha, but then goes on to write the poem, is she's saying, well, Varisha can't do this anymore. And there is a hint of irony where she says, where will we find another Varisha today? Because you won't, because the women need to actually start writing those histories and appropriate, reappropriating it back, right? So the hint of irony in the last two lines of this stanza cannot be missed. Where can we find another Varisha? Where can we find a man who can give voice to the ordeals of these voiceless women? So Aj Akham Varisha knew the poem itself becomes an answer to this question. She plays the role of Varisha, a woman appropriating the centuries-old tradition of the Heer narrative, which has largely been the domain of male poets writing about the rebellion of women like Heer, Soni, Sasi, and Saiba. So, Pritam's ventriloquism of Varisha's Heer, reinterpreted in the aftermath of colonial modernity and nationalist assertion, allows us to view Punjab, its history, its relationship to the nation, through the eyes of a woman. Today I call upon Varisha, the opening line, works both literally and figuratively to establish a dialogue with the literary past, reversing the vocal masquerade of Punjabi poetry in which men speak as women to create a reflexive text in which women speak for themselves, addressing men. The dichotomy between the poet as woman and the woman as poet stands in ruins, and we move from here as the object of Punjabi poetry to women as the active subject of literary tradition, highlighted by Pritham's confident, assertive tone in addressing Varisha <coughs> as an equal. <coughs> Ajakam Varisha nu thus becomes much more than a pain to a literary giant. It is the inauguration of a new literary mode of feminist Punjabi in which women's voices become central to the process of historicizing and narrating. <coughs> 